Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Looks like some Capitol Riot apologists aren't done rebelling. The lead starts right now. I quit. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy says he is done with the January 6th committee after Speaker Pelosi rejects two picks who back the big lie. Why some Republicans are seeing her move as a gift. We had a shot to end this thing. But now people who didn't get their shots are fueling a major COVID comeback. And it's beginning to look a little like 2020 again. And a doctor in the Deep South saying COVID patients are begging for a vaccine when it's just too late already, as some in the right-wing media are realizing their vaccine lies may have cost lives. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Pamela Brown in for Jake Tapper. And we begin with breaking news and the politics lead. A flurry of drama on Capitol Hill today surrounding the future of a special House committee investigating the January 6th Capitol attack. And it all started when Speaker Nancy Pelosi vetoed the Republican selection of Congressman Jim Banks of Indiana and Jim Jordan of Ohio, who both objected to the certification of the 2020 presidential election. That opened the door to House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy pulling all of his picks for the committee. Let's bring in CNN's Monty Raju. So, Monty, Republican sources are telling you this is a political gift. How so? Yeah, there was little interest among House Republicans to participate in this select committee. There was strong opposition other than two Republican members to actually create this select committee. And Republicans made very clear they didn't have have much of a desire to have any investigation whatsoever into what happened on January 6th. The Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy, had concerns, raised concerns, and said he was opposed to even an outside commission, a bill that would have created an outside panel split evenly between the two parties. He considered that too slanted, even though Nancy Pelosi, the speaker, gave him what he wanted. Then Pelosi moved forward with the select committee that would be run by Democrats, eight on her side, five on the Republican side. But the resolution creating that gave her that authority to veto the picks. And she announced today she would veto Jim Banks and Jim Jordan based on their past statements. Now, McCarthy made clear his displeasure with this, criticized the speaker and contended this next election will be a referendum on her leadership. Unless Speaker Pelosi reverses course and seats all five Republicans, we will not participate. This is the people's house, not Pelosi's house. So I asked Pelosi whether she had any concerns about the Republicans not participating in this investigation now that she has vetoed two of those picks. She said she did not. She said they have a bipartisan quorum and they will move forward. She, of course, was referring to Republican Liz Cheney, who is a member of one of her eight selections on the committee. So she said they can move forward and they plan to do that. Next week, we'll begin the first hearing of your testimony from Capitol Police officers and then expect a deep dive into what happened in January 6th, including what Donald Trump did and all the influencing factors around it. 
And you mentioned Congresswoman Liz Cheney. She is now the only Republican left on the committee. She came out today to defend the role of the commission. What did she tell you, Manu? She sharply criticized McCarthy and said she agreed with Nancy Pelosi. She said there needed to be people who agreed with the Constitution and that this investigation she contended would still be done in a nonpartisan manner, even though now there'll be seven Democrats and just one Republican. Cheney, of course, was pushed out of her leadership position because she challenged Donald Trump, criticized him, in the aftermath of January 6th was one of 10 Republicans voting to impeach him from citing the insurrection. And I asked Cheney directly, do you believe that Kevin McCarthy deserves to be Speaker of the House next year? She said someone who is in third in line of the presidency should respect the Constitution. She said Kevin McCarthy has not done that, making clear where she believes things are going. She believes the party is in the wrong direction, but she is decidedly in the minority, though, Pam, she was just a couple, one of two Republicans supporting the select committee, and now we'll just be the only Republican participating in this investigation. What a yeah. remarkable turn of events. She used to be the number three Republican in leadership, and now, as you point out, she's in the minority here and the only one on this committee. Manu Raju, live for us from Capitol Hill. Thanks so much. Let's discuss this with CNN's Nia Malika Henderson, Chris Eliza, Paul Begala, and Ramesh Panuru. Thanks for joining us here. Busy day on Capitol Hill. I think we can all agree. So let's talk about what played out today. Republicans are accusing Nancy Pelosi uh, of using this committee to play politics. This is They're saying this is partisan politics. What do you think about her decision to reject those two GOP members? Well, listen, she rejected two members. She okayed three members and you had Kevin McCarthy uh, then pull everyone out. She is right uh, to suggest that the two members that she did uh, reject are sort of not serious people. I mean, if you think about what Jim Jordan uh, was saying today, I think he made an argument for himself not being on the committee today because he basically uh, is suggesting that somehow Nancy Pelosi is to blame for what happened on January 6th. You know, what did she know and when did she know it on, on January? Six, and you have a committee of very serious people. Liz Cheney is one of those people. Adam uh, Schiff is, is one of those people as well. And you have uh, Benny Thompson, who's going to uh, lead this uh, committee. So listen, I think no matter what Republicans were going to say, this was all partisan. They blocked the uh, nonpartisan, sort of bipartisan uh, committee because they wanted this opportunity to mudline Nancy Pelosi, to undermine uh, this investigation. But I, th I think you can still get a serious, incredible investigation with the folks who are on this committee. Uh, just to add, I think Nia hit the nail on the head. If you go back, the, the reason that we're where we are, generally speaking, with this is because Mitch McConnell decided that they didn't want to play ball with a, a true bipartisan independent commission. It's the only reason that there's a select committee now. All the rest is sort of the sort of thing that if you spend time in Washington, you see, which is partisan posturing. When when uh, McCarthy chose those five people. You knew it was likely to become something of a circus. If you've watched Jim Jordan perform, and I use the word perform on purpose, mm -hmm. uh, in uh, the impeachment hearings against Donald Trump, in almost everything he says, you kind of know what you're getting there. And so whether or not she rejected these people, it doesn't really matter. I guess I differ with Neil, not in that you couldn't get a a fulsome reporting of what happened of January 6th, I disagree in the that the public in any meaningful way will accept it. And I think that was the case long before today. I think that was the case when when Senate Republicans decided 
we don't want to go down this road of something like a 9-11 commission for January 6th. Right. I mean, you mentioned you make an important point. You do, too. You know, we're hearing a lot about from uh, Jim Banks and, and Kevin McCarthy and other Republicans. This is this just shows this is partisan politics. This just shows this isn't really a fact finding mission. But what ground do they really have to stand on to say that when they were the ones who also voted against the bipartisan commission that was negotiated by a Republican, which is the reason why we're here, Ramesh? I think that the political choices for Kevin McCarthy through this latest period have actually been pretty easy. It was easy for him to come up with people he wanted to name to this commission, thinking that if she, if Pelosi said no to them, he would then be able to say, look, it's a partisan commission. We can boycott it. What I think was interesting today was his talk about having a Republican investigation of January 6th, which raises all kinds of questions that I'm not sure that he wants to answer, mm-hmm. such as, does that mean you're going to release texts between you and President Trump yeah. mm-hmm. from January 6th? Right. Um, what are you going to do without any subpoena power running your own Republican investigation? Uh, and I think that ultimately that's going to be the trickier political thing for him because it's, it's just going to open him up to the potential for ridicule. Well, and also, the, what's the narrative going to be? I mean, today you're hearing these Republicans say, oh, these were you know, massive security failures are trying to pin it all on Pelosi. But that ignores another part of the caucus that's saying nothing happened that day. There was nothing to see here. You know, uh, no big deal. This was just a tourist event. So which one is it? Right. They're <laughs> incoherent. I have to say, watching Nancy Pelosi taking on Kevin McCarthy, right? That's like this badass ninja against a sock puppet. I mean, it's just not a fair fight. She uh, is just so much smarter than, I mean, my dog Gus is smarter than McCarthy. I'm sorry. I, I have a very low opinion of his intellect. But if you really were only a partisan strategist, which I used to be for many years, you would want Jim Jordan on there, right? You're going into a midterm where the, the deck is stacked against the Democrats, right? Republicans have a very strong chance of taking the House. But people like Jim Jordan really annoy those suburban swing voters who are Republicans, but they were sick of Trump. And Democrats are really worried without Trump, will they go back to being Republicans? Because that's where their roots are. So in a partisan, strictly partisan move, you would want Jordan on there. Pelosi's an institutionalist. Uh, and uh, sources close to who I've talked to today said, look, first off, uh, Congressman Jordan has a conflict of interest. On December 21, he was one of the ultra-right-wing Republicans who went and met with Trump to plan strategy for January 6th. Not necessarily the rally, but to plan for the, the vote uh, on certifying the Electoral College. So that's a conflict of interest right there. And, of course, Banks, as soon as he was appointed, put out this hysterical statement, uh, including things like, make no mistake, Nancy Pelosi created this committee solely to malign conservatives and justify the left's authoritarian agenda. The Capitol was breached for the first time since 1814 in in the War of 1812 with the Brits. That's not pursuing a leftist authoritarian agenda. So I, I just think she's made mincemeat. Can, can I, just one point that I was surprised by, Paul, is when we're talking about intellect, Paul's smarter than me, so he may know the answer to this. But one thing I was surprised by, she said, Nancy Pelosi said, I think either on Monday or Tuesday, that vote, past votes would not be disqualifying as it related to serving on this committee. But then she picked Jordan and Banks Right. And said no to them. And in her statement today explaining it, she said something about, uh, you know, their actions and past statements or something like that, that that was the reason. She's denied that it is their vote. Right. And Troy Nels, who right. is from Texas, also voted for the objections to the Electoral College. I just don't think she explained her logic all the while. It right. doesn't really matter in the end because we're going to get what we're going to get. And this is a partisan food fight. And again, it all goes back to Mitch McConnell saying that they don't want a bipartisan independent commission. I was just surprised. Like, if you're going to say it was the vote, then get rid of all three of them. If you're going to say it wasn't the vote, then what was it? What they're saying is that 
Jordan was part of a meeting to plot strategy for January 6th. That should disqualify that December him for meeting. December right, 21st right, right, right. meeting. And they're saying with Banks, he just issued this hysterical that statement, statement yeah. when he was. I, so they're not saying the votes on, on, on it, January 6th. I think it would be, uh, though, a real mistake to exaggerate the impact that this committee is likely yeah. to have on the election. There are a lot of other things I think that's right. that outrank this issue in terms of what's likely to affect people's votes. Doesn't mean it's not important. Right. But, uh, but, you know, the idea that, that partisan points are going to be scored by the Democrats or the Republicans should be really worried about it, I wouldn't put too much stock yeah. in that. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. I mean, you know, we obviously saw a lot of partisanship and a lot of performance today from Kevin uh, McCarthy. They're always going to make Nancy Pelosi part of any sort of reelection uh, campaign. So we'll see that. But it's going to be fought on other issues. Yeah. And it's interesting, too. The White House is basically leaving up to Speaker Pelosi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't want to yeah. be involved well, in this. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> all right. Thank you all so much. Thanks, Bill. So will kids have to go half the school year without vaccines available to them? That's next. And the nation's top general speaking publicly for the first time since it was revealed in a book that he compared Trump to Hitler. We'll have his comments for you just ahead. In the health lead, it's getting worse. COVID cases up 55% in one week. Hospitalizations are up about 52% over the past two weeks. And COVID-related deaths, which usually trail those other two figures, are up 13% in two weeks. Now, to be very clear here, the vast majority of people included in these numbers that I just laid out are unvaccinated. Today, the CDC says nearly 30% of the country, 91 million people, live in a county with a high rate of spread. That would be an area there in bright red. As CNN's Athena Jones reports, the rise in rates ignites a debate over possible mandates to help stop the spread. With new coronavirus cases surging in 47 states, driven in large part by the more contagious Delta variant, nearly 30 percent of the country lives in a county with high COVID transmission, according to the CDC. That's 91 million people, 18 million more than the CDC reported earlier this week. The U.S. seeing a startling 55% increase in cases over the last week. Arkansas, Missouri, Louisiana, Florida, and Nevada leading the nation in new infections per capita. We are literally at the beginning of a wildfire. If we don't get young people vaccinated, we are all going to be at risk for a really awful fall ahead. And with less than half the population fully vaccinated, some are rethinking mask mandates and vaccination requirements. Starting in August, New York City will require workers at city hospitals and health clinics to either get vaccinated or be tested weekly. We have 22 million healthcare workers in the United States And by the information we have, only about 50 percent are vaccinated. This is unacceptable. Security, please remove. Officials in Clark County, Nevada, which includes Las Vegas, passing a temporary mask mandate for employees at work. And the U.S. Capitol now recommending mask mandates once again after several new cases. And in Kansas City, Kansas, a new mask mandate for all public school students, with few exceptions, including on school buses and for parents visiting school buildings. Getting the masks on, although they're, they're not always the most comfortable thing, they are what's going to keep us safe. Still, there is no sign the CDC is planning to change its guidance on masking, which focuses on the unvaccinated. Former U.S. Surgeon General Jerome Adams urging the agency to revise its policy in places where cases are rising, yet vaccination rates remain low. Writing in the Washington Post, instead of vax it or mask it, people might need to vax it 
and mask it. Starting today, Jackson Health System in Florida will again no longer allow visitors in most inpatient units or any adult emergency departments. This virus is highly contagious, highly transmissible. This is not a joke. And there is stunning new data from the CDC showing just how much COVID ravaged the nation over the last year. Life expectancy falling by a year and a half, the largest decline since World War II, with minorities hit the hardest. Latinos and blacks seeing a three-year decline, while life expectancy for whites fell 1.2 years. Pamela? All of that so troubling. Athena Jones, thank you so much. I want to bring in Dr. Jonathan Reiner. He's a cardiologist and professor at GW Medical Center. So let's zero in on this Delta variant, Dr. Reiner. Back in May, the CDC found this variant circulating in about 3% of cases. Now, less than two months later, it's circulating in 83% of cases. Is it mostly the unvaccinating, unvaccinated, allowing this variant to spread so much and so fast in this country? Right. Well, what we really have is an asymmetric spread of the virus. Now, although every state is seeing an increase in cases, we're seeing it disproportionately in places where a number of folks who are unvaccinated is high. In fact, if you look at right now, we're averaging about 37,000 cases per day in the United States. That's a 200% increase over the last 14 days. But a third of those cases is coming out of just four states, Florida, uh, Louisiana, uh, Missouri, and Arkansas. Uh, Other uh, parts of the United States where vaccination rates are high have seen very modest increases in cases. So it really has become a tale of two countries. When you look at the numbers, you look at those states, what is like your visceral reaction as a doctor? You know, it's so unnecessary. And, and it, it, you know, the word is maddening. You know, I've worked in a hospital every single day since the beginning of this pandemic. And every person that I work with has donned their protective gear and has gone into the hospital before we had vaccines, Many of us, you know, showering before, you know, we touched our family members or, you know, or had dinner uh, for fear of bringing this home. So many people in this country have have sacrificed. 3,600 healthcare workers have died. And to see a solution for this ignored by almost half the country is maddening. It it makes me furious. It's literally half the country. And half the country has the option to get vaccinated. It hasn't yet. Of course, kids under the age of 12 cannot, which raises the question about school. Some children go back to school in just a couple of weeks. Dr. Fauci estimated early winter uh, for vaccine data available for those 12 and younger. If this virus keeps spreading, what is the safest bet for kids when school reopens in a matter of weeks? Yeah, so I think uh, every kid going to school should be masked, uh, vaccinated or not. And I know this is... This angers uh, the people who have uh, been vaccinated, but we need to protect uh, everyone. And we really can't tell who's been vaccinated and who hasn't. I think every kid going to school should have a mask on to protect those who just have chosen not to be vaccinated and those who can't be. Uh, You know, moreover, I think we need to accelerate vaccinations among adolescents. We've only vaccinated about a third of eligible adolescents in this country. This is a preventable illness. Every state in the United States requires vaccinations for school-age kids. Why is this vaccine any different? The argument some make is it hasn't gotten full approval from the FDA. But as you all know, that's something that does take time per FDA rules. And and they don't want to shortchange that because then that would only fuel more uncertainty. But I've got to ask you about these breakthrough cases. Um, You know, I wonder, too, as a mom of two very young kids who can't get vaccinated, 
Um, we've seen these breakthrough cases, notably um, in the White House, uh, people who were fully vaccinated getting COVID, at least two White House employees, a senior aide to Speaker Pelosi, at least two U.S. Olympic athletes. The vaccines prevent serious illness, we know, in most of these cases. But are you surprised by the frequency of these breakthrough cases? No, I'm really not. Uh, I'm thrilled that the vaccine is doing what we wanted it to do, what we hoped it, it could do, which is to prevent serious illness, including hospitalization, and almost entirely uh, to prevent death. That's what we hope we would have a vaccine that, that uh, does achieve, and that's what we, what we have. Look, this Delta variant is very potent. Uh, it, it causes illness with very high viral loads, and in the wrong setting, yeah, it can overwhelm, in certain cases, vaccine uh, protection. But the vast majority, almost everyone who acquires this uh, virus uh, who has been vaccinated will have relatively mild illness or even be asymptomatic. Uh, Very few people are hospitalized who have been vaccinated and almost no one has died. So we have a solution. The solution is vaccination. And what about transmission, though? I think that's a big question, too. Again, for parents with kids, young kids who can't get vaccinated. So uh, if I had little kids at home, I would mask up in public. Uh, to prevent uh, the unlikely but possible scenario of bringing uh, the virus home. Likewise, if I live with someone who is a solid you know, uh, organ transplant uh, recipient or was somehow otherwise immunocompromised, I would mask up in, in public to prevent uh, inadvertently bringing the virus home and infecting them. We're going to have to do this for the next several months until we can get uh, all of our kids vaccinated. Probably sometime in midwinter we'll be able to vaccinate our youngest kids We should be vaccinating all of our adolescents now. Once we do that, we'll really have control. Really have control. Key points there. We all want to get out of this. Dr. Jonathan Reiner, thank you so much. My pleasure. Coming up, a heartbreaking story about young COVID patients literally begging for vaccines as they're about to be intubated, as some in conservative media have a change of heart after fueling vaccine skepticism. An Alabama doctor's Facebook post went viral because it clearly puts the current COVID crisis into perspective. She writes, I'm admitting young, healthy people to the hospital with very serious COVID infections. One of the last things they do before they're intubated is beg me for the vaccine. I hold their hand and tell them that I'm sorry, but it's too late. A few days later, when I call time of death, I hug their family members And I tell them the best way to honor their loved one is to go get vaccinated. They cry. And they tell me they didn't know. They thought it was a hoax. They thought it was political. They thought it was just the flu. But they were wrong. And they wish they could go back. But they can't. Absolutely heartbreaking. And now some Republican lawmakers and right-wing TV hosts who use their platforms to question the vaccine are changing their tune ever so slightly. CNN's Jessica Dean shows us how. If you have the chance, get the shot. But if It'll you save don't, your life. Well, a shift in tone in the right wing media when it comes to the COVID 19 vaccine. Fox and Friends host Steve Ducey talking over his co host to encourage viewers to get vaccinated. 
Ducey has been advocating the benefits of the vaccine since the winter, but now other Fox News hosts are following suit. I believe in science. Sean Hannity, who in January said he was beginning to have doubts about getting the shot, made this plea to viewers this week. Now, just like we've been saying, please take COVID seriously. I can't say it enough. Enough people have died. The CEO of the far-right network Newsmax, Chris Ruddy, published an op-ed saying he's been vaccinated and writing President Biden should be, quote, applauded for his administration's vaccine efforts. That shift in tone coincides with the Delta variant tearing across the U.S., hitting conservative-leading states especially hard, where vaccination rates are some of the lowest in the country. It's safe and effective. Uh, I took it, and I, I wanted to show the picture to to just encourage people. Now some Republican lawmakers are being more outspoken in their effort to encourage people to get the shots. House Minority Whip Steve Scalise announced he got the first dose of the vaccine on Sunday after seeing the COVID cases rise due to the Delta variant. I was ready to get the vaccine. I've always felt it was safe and effective. In his state of Louisiana, only 36% of people are fully vaccinated, and the daily case rate is three times the national average. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who survived polio and has consistently advocated for people to get vaccinated, did not mince words this week. This is not complicated. 97% of the people who are in the hospital now for COVID are unvaccinated. So if there's anybody out there willing to listen, get vaccinated. But there are still a number of Republican lawmakers who do not face any public rebuke from their Republican peers for pushing vaccine lies. Now they're starting to talk about going door to door to be able to take vaccines to the people. They could then go door to door, take your guns. They again go door to door, take your Bibles. This is not true. But that did not give the North Carolina congressman a reason to correct his statement. Now, all of this is happening as the Capitol attending physician here on the Hill put out a letter to members and staff members uh, saying that the Delta variant has been detected here on the Hill, uh, begging anybody who has not been vaccinated to get vaccinated. And one thing to keep in mind, Pam, is as all of this is happening, there are still some Republican members who either won't disclose their vaccine status or have not been vaccinated. Pam. All right, Jessica Dean, thanks so much. And joining us now is Kentucky Republican Representative James Comer. Nice to see you, Congressman. Uh, You are vaccinated. Do I have that right? Yes, you do. Okay. the day I got vaccinated, I posted it on social media. And what is your message then to those who still don't want to get vaccinated? Well, I've been very vocal. I think that uh, you should be vaccinated. I tell people that obviously I'm not a doctor. But uh, every person that I know in the medical profession, they were the first in line to get vaccinated and they constantly tell people to be vaccinated. So uh, everyone should be vaccinated. Uh, What you've shown on your show already today, it's it's proof 97 percent of the people who are in the hospital now as a result of COVID were not vaccinated. And that's that's really unfortunate because the government has spent a lot of money. Uh, we've uh, put forth a lot of effort. Uh, Operation Warp Speed was a success in creating the vaccines, and it's uh, it's to the point to where everyone probably should have already been vaccinated, but it's not too late, and hopefully we can continue to see an increase in vaccinations. And, it, it, you know, it, it is so unfortunate what you just pointed out, and also that it's become so politicized, right? I mean, th- there's this new CBS news poll that shows 29% of Republicans refuse to get vaccinated compared to 6% of Democrats. 
What do you think? Is that why we're seeing a tone change among some members in your party on vaccines uh, and be more outspoken, taking the virus seriously now? What do you think is behind that? Well, well first of all, Pam, there are people in both parties that uh, have b- spread misinformation about the vaccines. But I will say this. that When you uh, say that, I just want to be clear. When you say that uh, on the other side, um, what do you mean? Well, Kamala Harris, if you'll remember, during the debate, she said she wouldn't take the vaccine if Donald Trump was president. She said she wouldn't believe anything that Donald Trump said. She said with respect. She, want, she was going to listen to the scientists and the doctors. She wasn't going to listen to, to, Donald, to, to Donald Trump. And I know that's been a Republican talking point, um, but just go ahead. Well, it, you know, the Republicans we've met this week, we all see that, uh, you know, the Delta variant is spreading. We don't want to go through n- more government shutdowns. The Republicans have always been very vocal that uh, we need to keep the economy open. We can't afford to continue to pay people not to work and hand out stimulus checks. We've got to be safe. We've got to uh, be vaccinated and we, we have to take this very seriously. So that's a message that you're going to continue to hear from Republicans moving forward. And, and I know, you know, you want to talk about both sides, but the evidence, it's very clear, Congressman Comer, that um, it's largely in right wing media and Republicans or colleagues on Capitol Hill um, who have been fueling some of the vaccine hesitancy. Uh, you know, and now you have Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, fellow Kentuckian, saying that people should ignore voices that are giving demonstrably bad advice. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think that, do you agree with Mitch McConnell? Well, the data I've seen in Kentucky, it's two groups primarily that uh, haven't been vaccinated. And that's, uh, you know, very right wing conservatives, as you mentioned, but also minority groups. So uh, and obviously they're not uh, traditionally right wing. So I think we've got pockets of the population out there who just uh, really don't understand the the vaccination process. Pam, before COVID-19, I never took a flu shot in my life. It just wasn't something that I did. Uh, I'm not anti-science. I'm not, I don't have conspiracy theories. I just never took a flu shot. So I think there are a lot of people out there, uh, especially rural Americans that just, you know, before have never taken the shots they weren't required to take. You know, the shots that you're required to take to go to school to public schools, we've all we've all had, and we've all been vaccinated. But you know, when it comes to flu shots, it's just not something a lot of Americans did, and that's something that we in Congress need to continue to educate people on. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that a- another problem has been, you know, when the Johnson and Johnson, which is the shot that I took, you know, two days after I was vaccinated by Johnson and Johnson, they came out and they suspended the shot, the, the vaccine, for a few days because of blood clots and things like that. You know, that was probably. Uh, unnecessary by the federal government. We don't have an FDA commissioner right now. Mm-hmm. And this is something that uh, is, a, is a shortcoming of the Biden administration. If Donald Trump didn't have an FDA commissioner during COVID, I, I can only imagine what the media would be saying. So we've got to get an FDA commissioner confirmed. We've got to, right. as, as members of Congress in both parties, educate people on the importance of being vaccinated. And, and you're, you're absolutely right, Congressman. And we actually just put out reporting on some key posts, including the FDA commissioner that the Biden administration hasn't pointed anyone to. But I've got to ask you before we go about um, what's going on with the January 6th mm-hmm. committee. McCarthy said today the focus needs to be on Speaker Pelosi and all the security failures. Um, there are other people in your party, as you well know, who have downplayed what happened on January 6th, who have said, you know, this was just a tourist visit. It was no big deal. So who was right? Was it a massive security failure or was it no big deal and just a, a visit from tourists? 
Well, it was a massive security failure. I was on the House floor when it all happened, and you know, it was a scary situation. I, I certainly haven't downplayed it, and, and no one should downplay it, something that should never happen again. Uh, but one thing that McCarthy said that I think the speaker used against Jim Banks and Jim Jordan was part of what they wanted to dive into was, you know, why didn't the Capitol Police uh, communicate better with respect to intelligence that they received a couple of days prior to January the 6th. Why didn't uh, the Capitol Police Force have reinforcements there? How could this happen? So I think there are a lot of things that the select committee or a commission should look into. But I have to agree with, with Kevin McCarthy on the part that when you have a select committee, the Democrats traditionally pick their members, the Republicans traditionally pick their members. Obviously, it's going to be political when you do that. When you have people like Adam Schiff, who, as a Republican, I don't have a lot of credibility on. I understand the Democrats don't have a lot of credibility in Jim Jordan. The best thing to do, in my opinion, is to have an independent commission that we know who's going to be on it. It doesn't need to be political. But wasn't people. that what Republicans voted was, against, the bipartisan? We never, oh, you mean like not politicians, not, not lawmakers, politicians, outside people? Right, outside okay. people, like the, like the September the 11th commission. Because anytime you have political people, I don't care if they're Democrats or Republicans, it's going to turn into a political event. It's going to turn into a political entity. And, and we're seeing that happen for sure. Okay. Right. Congressman yeah. Comer, thanks so much for joining us. Nice talking with you. Thanks for having me on, Pam. Well, new book claims he feared Trump would stage a coup. Today, the nation's top general was asked about that and his comments up next. Internationally, Joint Chiefs Chairman General Mark Milley making his first public comment since explosive books revealed tensions with former President Trump, including him comparing Trump to Hitler. Let's bring in our Pentagon correspondent, Barbara Starr. So, Barbara, what did Milley say? Well, Pamela, all of this unfolded earlier today at a press conference here in the Pentagon. Milley was joined, of course, by Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. Perhaps not a big surprise. Milley shied away, would not confirm after repeated questions anything about what these books said about him and his relationship with the former president. Have a listen to what he had to say. I know there's a lot of interest out there on all of these books that are out there and quoting me and lots of others, etc. Uh, I'm not going to comment on what's in any of those books. Let me just say this, though. Um, I always personally provided the best military professional advice uh, to President Trump previously, to President Biden or any other president. But we take an oath, an oath to a document, uh, an oath to the Constitution of the United States. And not one time did we violate that. Perhaps most interesting, Milley did not dispute any of the things that any of these books said about him and his very tense relationship with the final days of the Trump White House. And then Secretary Austin weighed in and gave General Milley his unqualified support. Pamela? And Barbara Milley and Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin were also pressed about the Afghanistan withdrawal. They were. Milley had some interesting perspective on it. He did say that the Taliban have been gaining territory. They've been gaining some district centers around the country. No surprise there. But he also went into unusual detail uh, that Afghan forces are consolidating. They're repositioning themselves, he said, and they are focusing not so much on the remote areas, but on major towns, cities, and the capital of Kabul. And that's where Afghan forces are making their stand. Pamela? All right. Barbara Starr, thank you so much. And up next, the White House reacts to a centerpiece of President Biden's agenda failing a key test in the Senate. 
Just moments ago, as expected, Senate Republicans shut down the first attempt at opening debate on a bipartisan infrastructure bill, which is still being negotiated. Democrats knew that, but Majority Leader Chuck Schumer still went through with today's vote. I'm going to bring in CNN's Caitlin Collins, who's in Cincinnati, ahead of CNN's town hall tonight with President Biden. So, Caitlin, what's the White House saying about this procedural vote that Biden knew would ultimately fail? Well, they did know that it would likely fail, but they said they still supported it anyway. And I think behind the scenes, you've heard some aides say, well, hopefully it helped speed up the writing process of the actual text of this bill. And hopefully it would speed up some agreements on the pay force, which has been the big disagreement between the two sides. This has been something that the White House has been very closely involved in. So they were pretty fully aware of what the nuances were and what different lawmakers were uh, concerned about or supported there because President Biden's top aides have been on Capitol Hill all week. But I think the thing that you're walking away from here is that you're seeing some Democrats say this underscores our concern at the beginning that Republicans were going to balk at this. But the White House has said they feel confident that that agreement is still there. You heard President Biden tell us just the other day at the White House they shook hands on this agreement. And he has said before he trusts these Republicans at their word. So, of course, the question is whether or not they can actually get this all finalized, the text of the bill, by Monday. And from COVID to Afghanistan, Biden faces a crisis on multiple fronts. What issues do we expect him to emphasize in the CNN town hall tonight? So, Pam, he's just passed that six-month mark of taking office. He actually hit that yesterday. So what we've heard from the White House that President Biden is going to do tonight is not just reflect on those six months and that $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief bill that he signed into law earlier this year, but also focus on his economic agenda to come. He's actually going to give remarks before he takes questions from voters at this town hall here tonight with CNN, focusing on the domestic agenda. But he's going to talk about that tonight and the economic vision that he has for the United States going forward the next six months of his presidency, which we know not only involves that bipartisan infrastructure deal that they're still working on, but also the bigger piece that they're expecting to only have Democratic support on that reconciliation part of the agenda. And so this is what you're going to see President Biden talk about. But there are also going to be other major questions because problems that existed on day one, those challenges with coronavirus are still very much in the picture with the Delta variant largely circulating throughout the United States is concerns about whether or not masking is going to have to come back, but also several foreign policy fronts as well. When it comes to that withdrawal in Afghanistan, when it comes to ransomware and recent attacks uh, by China. So a lot of topics for the president tonight, Pam. And we'll be watching closely. Caitlin Collins, thank you so much. And you can see the exclusive CNN presidential town hall with President Biden and CNN's Don Lemon right here at 8 p.m. Eastern only on CNN. We'll be right back. I'm Pamela Brown in for Jake Tapper. You can follow me on Twitter at Pamela Brown CNN or tweet the show at the lead CNN. Our coverage continues now with Jim Acosta and the Situation Room. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.